Welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf, an award-winning investigative journalist and the CEO and founder of Overcome. We are back. What a chaotic couple of weeks. We told everybody that I was sick the second week of January. However, I also had no power last week. So if you've been following the news any what closely, uh, tons of power outages in the state of Texas, including in my hometown of Austin. We did not have power starting Wednesday morning. So I woke up to edit a podcast on Wednesday morning and get it out to everyone and had no power. So we are back now with this episode that you're listening to on Tuesday or later. And we have another episode that we have already recorded that will come out on Thursday morning. And you will listen to that either then or later. This episode today is with Avali May, who is now the lead content creator for FlyQuest. She's previously a host at G4 TV, which we've talked about on the show before, Comcast's now defunct video game channel. And she previously worked for Riot Games in the LCS. And she is now making a comeback back to the LCS scene, working for FlyQuest as their lead content creator. Avali and I have worked together before a couple times, so I thought this was a really interesting interview. You can hear some of the sort of you know similarities between the two of us because, like me, she's also in her mid twenties and has found a broadcasting career very, very early on. Successfully, she started during high school as well, and it was a really interesting interview. Just talking to Avali, I, I really enjoyed it. But Prem is back. Prem was not here last time we recorded one of these, so uh, Prem, welcome back. Um, it's okay. You were recovering from travel. Feels like it's been a crazy few weeks for all of us, but yeah. all good news. We've so. had between us what three sicknesses, your power outage. Um, I feel like there was something else in there, something else that just made things messy. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's it's a crazy crazy couple of times, and uh, I I don't know. I'm glad we're back to our normal normal schedule program. Agreed. The interview later in the week is also going to be with Aframu, um, the retired LCS player now as retired. well. This is yes, that's the kind of spicy part. He he had retired what a week prior to the interview, maybe less. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think that uh, it was clear he was winding down his career. Uh, he's notably the only African-American pro player in the history of professional League of Legends, which is a huge deal. You actually held that interview. So we'll save that intro uh, for that. Well, I, I want to listen to it. I haven't been, gotten the opportunity to. But before we dive into that, uh, what were your thoughts on the Avali interview? I mean, I it's interesting to talk to her because I get to work with you every day. Someone who very much has the same kind of similar career trajectory of where you started, when you started, and how you've kind of built out uh, a brand that is kind of very much your own in in the space where you are the gaming journalist. And I think a lot of people see her in a similar space as like this kind of fun, energetic host who who has served to really create these these fun, intimate connections between League of Legends and its audience. And so, yeah, I, I given I get to to watch you do it every day, it was kind of fun to, to get a sense of her perspective on her career and how it started going through LCS, G4, and now FlyQuest. Yeah, she's, uh, her creativity is really, really exciting, I think. She definitely at a very early age made a big mark on the LCS too. You know, we think about 
When you think about esports, I think a lot of the content marketing is particularly bland, meaning that like the content itself is not marketable, but she made it fun. And I think that she's really excited. It sounded like she's really excited to do that again, too. Yeah, I think FlyQuest is a really good place for her right now. Like they are they're doing a lot of really good kind of smaller activations with their with their players and creators. And her her expertise both specifically in league working with the lcs and then getting to work more generally with g4 i think that's going to be really really beneficial to flyquest kind of content pipeline for the next year at bare minimum um i'm I'm really excited to see what they can kind of pull out yeah i think too you know they are one of the newly acquired you know put the business ad on here newly acquired esports teams too and they have new ownership who seem willing to invest like a significant amount of money as well into this industry at a time where many people aren't so that's why i'm not that surprised to see them bring her on and kind of you know give her resources and a budget to go build things but yeah i think we'll we'll leave the rest of the interview it's a good interview she's always very exciting to talk to so uh without further ado here is our interview with abelie may Abelie, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, the FlyQuest music video that we just put out, I think like last Wednesday, that was a two-week crunch of multiple all-nighters driving out to the desert at four in the morning and dancing in like freezing yet sunny weather for like six or seven hours straight. And then Oh my gosh, I'll just all the back-to-back edits followed by a 2-0 weekend for FlyQuest at LCS for the opening weekend. So I have been hibernating for the past few days, but now I'm, you know, I'm 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 awake again. I'm alive and I'm I'm happy to talk with you today. Thank you. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. You know, for those that are maybe unfamiliar, Abelie was a host and interviewer for the LCS up until 2020. Um, she then left the LCS and then did a stint at G4. Um, the multimedia company covered a bunch of different things, and she is now back as the lead content creator for FlyQuest, one of the teams in the LCS. One of the only teams still investing in what it feels like sort of uh, non-traditional content. They have new ownership, etc. How did the partnership to come back to the LCS, but this time with a team, pan out honestly it it really broke my heart when i left the lcs at 2020 i mean if you know you know this everyone around me and i think the fans and community know it as well but the lcs is like my heart and soul i love the players i love all of the casters the teams and the orgs were the ones that i watched grow from like you know, the five people working at Cloud9 to now like the dozens and dozens working across all of these different organizations and seeing basically people that I've done internships with become CEOs or like business managers. So it just feels like that has been the community that's been my life since I was in high school. Now, a decade later, I get to basically work in all of these different aspects of it. But for the LCS, for coming back to it, it's something that I had clearly always wanted to do, but I knew that if I was going to make my return in any way, it had to be under the right circumstances. One of the things that was a necessity for me was being able to have creative control, uh, being able to produce my own content. Uh, now that I've, you know, I'm not the same little 21 year old girl who's walking into the LCS, still finishing up her final year of college, having no idea what's going on. 
But now I, you know, I've built up the skills, the experience and the confidence to kind of say, okay, you know what? I want to create this crazy music video. I understand that it's going to be difficult, but put a little bit of faith in me and let's try to get it done. And, you know, FlyQuest is the one that fit that bill. They came to me towards the end of last year where they're like, hey, listen, we really want to up our content game for League of Legends, especially with the LCS and esports. Like, we think that you're the person who can do the job. And as soon as they told me that they were willing to, you know, support me in terms of production or at least just putting a little bit of faith in me, I'm like, okay, cool. This sounds like a match made in heaven. Let's go ahead, jump in, see what we can do. And I think that, you know, our first two videos, my announcement, as well as the music video that we pumped out with Dash included is kind of evidence to that uh, in what we can all do together. If there's a little bit of passion mixed in with a little bit of support. Yeah, one thing that you mentioned during that answer, and I think it's part of the reason you and I have gotten along over the years and we've worked together a handful of times is uh, we are similarly aged. And uh, we 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 also like, you know, said not not too different from one another in a story. You know, I'm a I'm a college dropout that went and pursued this career and then became what I am now. You started doing this while you were in school and and sort of took off. We're both in our mid 20s now, I would say. One of the one of the things I, w- I want to ask a couple different questions on that. One, I want to ask about your start, um, because I remember when you first started doing this, like, you know, sort of amateur before you've gotten to the level that you're at now. Why did you want to get started building out that content? And what like what kind of inspired you to take that leap? Oh, my gosh. Um, my start within esports or like competitive gaming or content, whatever you want to call it, I think was when I was 16 or 17 in high school. My friends took me to a LAN for StarCraft II. They all wanted to play in it. Fun fact, my computer could not run StarCraft II, so I would just have to watch my friends play, which really sucked. Um, But we went to this LAN. I learned what esports was. I learned what League of Legends was. Started playing League of Legends. Ended up going to the Season 2 World Playoffs in the Nokia Plaza down in LA. I witnessed the CLG EU uh, breakdown where we were all just waiting for eight hours where no games were played it was just reset multiple times i saw the what what was it the azubu cheating by looking at the screen yes. live in yes. person and the the catastrophe that was that um but at that event i just kind of looked around me and i'm like holy crap these are all my people they're all absolutely crazy about the same game the same community and the same you know players that i've been following on twitch since the, you know, the TSM invitationals. I'm watching Dyrus and Odd One and all of these people uh, streaming to, honestly, just like hundreds of people at the beginning. There was no, you know, thousands of people watching Double Lift. It just started very small to start. Um, and so that's basically where I fell in love with it. So in high school, I started working at my local kind of like esports tournament organizers. So we did things at like the Microsoft Store, and like these really small League of Legends lands until I got into college where I started my own esports club and started participating within the high school and collegiate esports leagues. And that was a little bit with High School Star League and some of my buddies there where I loved the pro scene. But then I also loved like the grassroots amateur scene, the collegiate scene. And I felt like it wasn't getting any love. So within like my first year or so of college, I started doing like these little collegiate reports uh, when Overwatch came out because there was a collegiate Overwatch league through Blizzard's TESPA program, which is a fantastic program. Rip. 
But through that program, I was able to kind of like create content around the players who didn't have a spotlight on them. And from there, I think like Travis Gafford at Yahoo Esports saw some of that. And he's like, okay, cool. Let's bring this kid on as like an assistant, see what she can do. And I think within my first month of working for him, he said, okay, cool. Now go do these LCS interviews. And I'm like, you want me to do what? Like, you want me to, 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 to stand next to double lift? You want me to ask him a question? He's a god. I can't stand next to him. I'm a peasant. Like crazy stuff like this. Um, but that's that's how I ended up doing stuff in front of the camera. And it all just kind of snowballed from there. And the funny thing is, is that I always thought that I was just going to be doing behind the scenes production work. Uh, but yeah, I fell in front of the camera and, you know, I haven't looked back since. I think in one way that we are alike is that that did not come necessarily easy. Uh, I, (laughs) you know, like I would say, I think if we watched any of our older video stuff from either of us, uh, you, you, we both were a little awkward and I think it's partly just the, you know, being so young and being kind of thrust into that and like having to figure it out on the fly. If you were to give advice to young broadcasters who are trying to figure that out, trying to figure out their voice and their comfort in front of a camera, what would what would you say? Don't be afraid to mess up on camera. It's all it's 100 percent about the recovery. That was my biggest obstacle when I first started out, feeling like every single word needed to be perfect. And if I messed up a word, everything would shut down because it was, oh, my God, I just made a mistake. I can't take it back. It was live. Or if it was recorded, I need to start again. There's no cuts. If we make if if there's a very visible edit, it's going to look amateur. People are going to hate me. People are going to think that I have no idea what I'm talking about. Ah, And, you know, just screaming. So for me, the biggest thing was as soon as I recognized that it was fine to make a mistake, as long as you made a joke about it, recovered really quickly or honestly just ignored it and moved on. Everything was fine. And Honestly, I feel like I kind of built a cringe, awkward brand off of making mistakes where it was about the jokey recovery. So now I feel like I could walk on stage for like the League of Legends World Finals where I have to introduce a team, face plant, get up, dust myself off and then go, here's Faker. And it would be totally fine and also somewhat on brand. So <laughs> it's it's all about, uh, you know, just pushing through be yourself find your own voice you know well i think that anxiety is totally like warranted though i mean oh, obviously yeah. you just you just said like you've kind of built a little bit of a brand out of it which i think you you have you're you're very good at poking fun at yourself and it like not not being too serious or whatever like it it's yes it's self-deprecating but it's not meant to be that way like it's it's meant to just like kind of roll off the back you've got your confidence shines through through in those moments but i do think that like the anxiety of that for certain young broadcasters is totally warranted in a world where like especially on the internet everything is cataloged and you know like mm-hmm. people aren't necessarily forgiving about growth or understanding no. of growth like they expect you to be if you're in front of that camera you are the perfect person and like It's like, that's just not how this works, right? Like it does take those reps. No. And I think, yes, the anxiety is very warranted. It is something, unfortunately, that with this type of job, you have to find a way to manage it. You you have to find a way to manage and overcome it, because if you continue to have the crippling anxiety through every single uh, you know show that you take on every single broadcast that you do, you're not going to love the job. And if you don't love the job, then 
this probably isn't the field for you. And for me, it was a lot about the using the passion to kind of drive me through it, where it was, uh, trust me, I would be crying backstage for like my first year of working on broadcasts. The first time that I did LCS interviews for uh, Yahoo Esports and Travis, I was crying on the hour long drive from Orange to Santa Monica because he told me last minute, by the way, I'm not coming. You're doing it alone. And so I'm just shaking and crying in the car on the way to the LCS studios, like after classes or something like that. But as soon as I got in there, like I slapped myself across the face in the parking garage. I walked up there and I said to the media person, yes, I would, I would like an interview with X Smithy, please. I did the interview with X Smithy and then everything was fine. And after yeah. you're able to just overcome that giant chunk of anxiety and take that deep breath and realize, oh my God, the world isn't on fire. I spoke with X Smithy about missing a smite. I'm still alive. He's still alive. Yahoo Esports hasn't crashed and burned yet. Everything's fine. That's kind of like the nice rewarding feeling of, okay, we're going to, we're going to make it to another day. <laughs> it's uh, it's the ice breaking moment. That's what it is. It's like, you, it once is. you break it, it's there, right? Like yeah, break glass in case of emergency. But like once, once it's actually broken, you're good. You're good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard though. I think that in our, in our industry, because of the way we socialize, because of the way we interact online, it's very easy for that anxiety to be built up. And I think that the the conversation I have countless conversations with young journalists who like that's all it is. It's like you just gotta break the you just gotta you know, jump in the jump in the cold pool. It's gonna be okay. Once mm-hmm. you're in, you're in. So yeah, I think that's good advice. Anyway, thinking about sort of your career, the other thing I wanted to go back to is that you've had to learn a lot in a very short amount of time. And <laughs> Yeah. 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 And and also just like, you know, like there is the traditional path for something like what you do now. I don't want to say it's not completely relevant. That's probably wrong, but it it is. It's not the same. You know, like you would, you know, most I think about this a lot. Most people in positions like ours, it's like you go and you do the work at like a newspaper, you do the beat writing, you build that credibility, you get the reps and then like, you you know slowly climb up the ladder and like eventually you're the the television person right that is not the case anymore especially in a world where like youtube exists and people are just like content creators from the very jump right and i've seen this a lot with a lot of different people and a lot of different topics but you do have to like kind of to be successful at this you do have to sort of like fast track all of that learning in a very short amount of time and and so I'd love to sort of like go a little bit through the beats of you learning the, those things and the skills that you built up when you when you started, what was like the biggest goal for that you had on the broadcast side of things? What did you want to learn when you started? When I started within the LCS or you mean like with Yahoo? Just in like, general, just in just general. In yeah, general. Yahoo. Yeah, I, so I mean, honestly, just in general, what, kind of when I started at Yahoo, I thought that I was going to be a little bit more on the production side or more of the producing side. That was, you know, kind of like a self-esteem issue where I believed I had no business being on camera when you have, you know, like the legends, like freaking shocks, right? Where you're just like, Mm -hmm. uh, you look at shocks and then you look at me and I'm like, ain't no way. So I was working a lot on kind of like producing. I wanted to learn what it was like to do kind of like social media management or what does community management look like? Or how do you try to up your engagement with the audience? Da, 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 da. So I was looking at a lot of these strategies while also trying to learn to be on camera. And so I think what kind of ended up happening 
was I was mixing and mashing the two where before, listen, you turn on a newscast and the anchors reading the news and everything, they're not going to ask you what you think of the news, right? So if all of a sudden you're doing the LCS interview and you turn and you're talking to the chat really quick, where you're saying like, huh, chat, that was weird. Drop the emotes, poggers, poggers, pog champ, poggy woggies, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's weird. Yeah. No one's really done that. So I think like at that point in time, I was just trying to figure out how to bring, how to be myself while also being professional. Myself being the weird, the cringe, the awkward, but also the fun that I thought that the scene was kind of missing. The fun that I really loved in the League of Legends community, whether it was like the weird League of Legends ciphers that we would see pop up on Reddit or like the Civ HD stuff, um, like his videos that were super fun. I I wanted that same community vibe and community feel to also get mixed with kind of like the professional and the more... Trying to find another word to say professional without saying the word stiff of kind of like the LCS broadcast and the LCS content sphere at that time. And it was a struggle. Um, But, you know, I feel like I feel like we kind of got there. Yeah. And I think sort of underlying that, too, is the fact that uh, there's no template for this. Like there's no like perfect, perfect answer. And I think that, you know, there is the problem I've noticed with esports in particular I don't know if this is because this industry is full of bad marketers or if it's for some other reason, but this industry, its ability to create and be creative in in the media that it is creating is awful. The the amount of times I have talked to people that are like, we just want to be the FaZe Clan of this, the 100 Thieves of this. Mm -hmm. It's like, can you just shut the fuck up and be whatever you want to be? Like, be something unique. Think like outside the box. Like mm-hmm. 100 Thieves is 100 Thieves. Face Clan is Face Clan. They do their things in their very particular way to a very particular audience with their very particular talent. Mm-hmm. You know, like trying to replicate them is a recipe for disaster because you're never going to be them. And kind of in your answer there, you you mentioned Shocks. And I think that she, especially for women broadcasting in esports, she is like the sort of golden example. She's, she's fantastic at what she does. Absolutely great role model a very sweet person as well like is always trying to help other people and and i you know can always say nice things truly but i think that and i've kind of dealt with this a little bit you know being sort of in the richard lewis type cast is like finding something that's different finding my own unique voice finding my own thing and i think it's hard because you don't I'd love to know if you've experienced this. It's hard because you want to be your own unique thing, but it is scary because there's not like necessarily examples to follow by either. You really are inventing in the dark almost. Yeah, I I think for the first kind of like year or two that I was in the LCS, when I jumped in, people would call me budget shocks. And again, I think there were a couple people who were saying that in kind of like trying to aim it as an insult like oh lcs could never afford shocks so we've got you know the next best thing but when i started seeing that that was the biggest compliment alive (laughs) for me because i'm going like oh my god like even budget shocks her name is next to my name like i'm okay with being the budget it's true i'm a child she's a goddess like of course why wouldn't you call me the budget version like i agree with you And then I think like after kind of like that year, year and a half or two of people kind of like referring to me as budget shocks, they slowly learn that, oh, okay. So even though she's doing some of the interviewing or some of the content like stuff that shocks does, they are still very different 
in styles, in technique, in kind of like attitude or the way that they do things. Like when you look at Shocks and she does a world's interview, it is nothing but elegance, beauty and grace and accuracy, right? Like the just the, the professionalism that emanates from her. And then when you look at me doing like an LCS interview or something, it's fun. It's goofy. It's trying to get the players out of their shell. It's probably not as heavy on game knowledge because I just wanted more fun, which again, just two completely different styles. People are going to prefer one over the other, whichever way that is. And people are also going to like either love or despise those types too. But that's the thing. It's like there is more than one person on a broadcast for a reason. It's so that everyone feels represented. Everyone gets to feel like, oh, you know what? I like that person. I don't really care for them so much. But when this person starts to cast, that's when I really get excited for the game. Well, one thing you did well, and this show is kind of all about like thought leaders and impact and people in in gaming entertainment, et cetera, that are good at that. You know, the... One thing you did very well for the LCS and one thing I think that you have had a lasting impact is the ability to to make it fun. You know, I I think about this a lot. I think one of the biggest problems with esports right now more broadly is that the stories in esports are boring. Whether that is because the people are boring or whether that is because the telling of the stories are boring or some mix of both. And one thing that you did very well at a very crucial time for the for the sport and for this specific region of the sport is making it fun, is breaking those people out of their, their shells in, in interviews. And especially when you were on broadcast, so you were doing that with them Thanks. because it's the it's the it's the most exposure you could get to the work. Right. Like you're on the actual thing, the thing that is the most important. And I think that that is really important to the growth of the sport because you want to be able to feel some personal connection with the players right and so you want to be able to bring that out of them as as a, an interviewer trying to present that to the audience what's really hard about esports is that it, how inaccessible it truly is whether that be because they're so much better than you at skill because they you know have this life that's so different than the, what a normal person has and so showing those similarities i think is something that that you did really really well even if that wasn't necessarily the original intention but i think that the, the presentation of the work did that so I, I do think that's an impact that you've had on the game and, and the sport more broadly. I want to ask about that a little bit. Was was that conscious thinking about sort of the how how you were presenting these players and their stories? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for the for the mega compliment. That was super sweet of you in terms of it being like a conscious decision. I honestly don't remember. I feel like I would have to go back in time and shake little young Ovaly and be like, what are you thinking again? Because when I think back to it, I think that I was just trying to have some fun. I don't think that there was necessarily a conscious decision, at least at the beginning, where I'm like, wow, you know what we need to do? We need to make everything more fun. I think for me, it was just kind of feeling that I had a fun idea that I wanted to try out. And then as I continued to create these fun ideas, I just enjoyed it and the fans enjoyed it. And so I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, one of the examples was I was doing like early, 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 early TikTok content with the players. Or I did like the, uh, I did an anime girl dance, the Chica dance from Mm Kaguya-sama. And I changed the words and had it be LCS Fiesta time, right? When everyone was calling the LCS a Fiesta. Because I'm like, listen, the community 
loves this. The community loves the fact that it's being called the Fiesta time. So let's make fun of everyone. Everyone gets a shot taken at them. We had Beardson. We had, I think, like Froggins Karthus at the time. We had FlyQuest only playing Jinx. Um, CLG subbing out their roster every single week. It, it, it was just crazy. No one really knew it was happening. And for me, I felt like instead of trying to have like heavy analysis as to like breaking down each individual thought process or having like a super long podcast discussion over it, I'm like, let's make it goofy. Let's make it fun. I just want to do something stupid. And people loved it. So yeah, yeah and in terms of like a conscious decision at the beginning, definitely not. I think that maybe... Even even kind of now, it's more of a, hey, I have a stupid idea. Let's try to execute on it. Yeah. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. I, I do think there's a potentially a downside to this, too, though. You know, I, I had some critique the, last week about the LCS teaser video that Riot produced, which is uh, someone described to one of my team basically like a series of inside jokes. And I think that in a, in a world where... You, you know, in a world where you want to make a product more accessible, it's it's not so great when you are basically every single shot is a meme, right? Like it and and it's it's really tough because you you do want to make sort of the the product able to be, you know, and this is like the biggest teaser. This is the thing that's going to get mm-hmm. shared for the entire, you know, to sort of kick off a brand new season and and everything else. And it, every single shot was a joke. And I think some people disagree with me, but I do think that that is potentially detrimental to the sport in the sense of uh, not telling stories about people because that is the way to get people in. And I, I kind of love I'd love your thoughts on like where esports storytelling is now and where it's going right and where it's going wrong. So I'm trying to find, is that the one where they had the goats? Yes. OK, I so I'm going to be honest. That teaser I was incredibly happy with because I recognized it as them at least trying to take a step in the fun direction. I totally understand what you're saying about like, oh, well, that's an inside joke or that's an inside joke. So maybe the new fans wouldn't get it or anything. But at this point in time, I don't think that they're making this for new fans. I think that they're making something like this to appease the LCS fans who have been essentially like put through the freaking ringer since the end of last year with the announcement of game days moving to Thursday and Friday, as well as the game start times being moved up all the way to noon, which this is a totally different conversation, but I was actually very much in support of starting games at noon. I made fun of it in my music video because, you know, why not? But I, I was actually a firm believer in the noon start time. But going back to like this video specifically, I remember watching it. I remember getting a little bit motion sick. But I, I really yeah. appreciated them trying to do something fun, something flashy. I'm, I'm watching it at the same time right now. And I, I thought it was cute. I thought it was cool. Uh, oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong one. This is like the where's the one where it's like blabbers crabbers. Yeah, that's OK. The one. It's, yeah, it's... this isn't the one. OK, it was the other it was the other one that I got motion sick from. So, yeah. So uh, same thing here. I thought that they were still trying to do something different. They were trying to do something cute. This definitely isn't for new fans coming in going like what the heck but at the same time this could be for new fans seeing it and going like this is kind of weird i want to know more and then kind of like looking into it but i enjoyed this video i'm happy with it i'm sad that i'm looking at it and it still has sub 100k views 
because where are the LCS fans turning up for LCS content? Like we need them. LCS content has just taken like a massive hit. That's the problem. I think that this, this industry has though, is that like, you know, I went, I went to worlds. I've brought this up several times on this podcast. So for our, our listeners, please like regular listeners, please don't kill me for saying it again, but it's true. I went to worlds. I went as a fan this year. I did not want to, get the press pass and do all the work. Cause I wasn't going to cover it like that anyway, mm-hmm. but I sat in the crowd with people in Atlanta and I met like a group of guys that were what I would call like the lapsed league of legends fan, league of legends, esports fan, meaning they were really, they were telling me they were really into LCS in 2013, 2014 and 2015, super into it. But now they are in their mid thirties and they have moved on in their lives and they have, you know, in some cases, families, they have jobs, they are, you know, but and they're at this event, though, because it's like regional to them. They are from the southeast United States or from the Atlanta area, et cetera. And here they are at world semifinals because it's kind of one of the first things that league has done in that area. And talking to them like really, I, I had this like hypothesis around the audience. And I think that they validated it in some ways that like the audience that was really into this stuff five plus years ago, and I would include myself in that bundle, uh, have moved on a tad and there the new there is not new audience coming in. And that is the problem right now mm-hmm. that I think esports is facing is is attracting new audience. And again, I think there's so many different reasons for it. I think it's because like generally it's just inaccessible to like have the gaming PC and you know the whole thing. You have to like to be an esports fan, you have to be the person that plays the game the absolute most. Right. Like you have to know life this to be a part of it. And like that pipeline is just so different from traditional sports and, you know, which continue to grow in audience size and things like basketball. And I think that more broadly, like that's that's where my concern for content at least comes in is because like the best content, someone should be able to watch it that has nothing, you know, nothing knows nothing about it. And then they can become a fan of it. This is what like Formula One does incredibly well with Drive to Survive is like you don't have to understand the intricacies of a race car to appreciate that sport. And part of that is because of the storytelling around it. Yeah, I don't have a family right now, but no, <laughs> I, I can definitely see that. I've, I've heard the same from a lot of people where it's even if you ask the people who have been working in LCS for the past decade, like, cool, how often do you still watch LCS? They're not still showing up every single weekend. You're not still seeing the same staff members who are showing up every single day when LCS opened up their new studio by the Riot headquarters, right? Like people have moved on. And I think that you are right in saying that the biggest issue that League of Legends, LCS, and as you said, like a lot of esports have to deal with right now is where do we find the new fans? How can we access, access the new fans? And I think that's why LCS is finally trying to do this more fun, more casual exploration of what the broadcast could look like because clearly the stiff ESPN style sports center stuff was not cutting it. Um, Correct. And to be honest, that's something that I have been screaming from the rooftops for the past three or four years now. I screamed um, it inside of ESPN. So you're talking, yeah. you're preaching at the damn choir at the moment. Yeah. Oh no, I remember. <laughs> I remember when ESPN flew me out to uh, their Bristol headquarters and they're like, yeah, so we want to get into esports. And I'm like, don't make a sports center. And they did it anyway. That's yep. They wanted to do it anyways. <sighs> I'm glad that they're taking a step in the right direction. I don't think that it's necessarily too late, but I think that they're going to have to pump a lot more effort into it if they do want to see people get excited for it. I think that having Cutie Cinderella on 
was an excellent first Fantastic. step. Excellent yes. first step. I hope that they are paying her like out the butt uh, for being on <laughs> broadcast. Like if they are not paying their content creators sufficiently for this, then that makes me a little bit worried because there's only so much good faith and goodwill that can last, right? You have Cutie on. Next time you get like a Carl Jacobs type thing. We're going to North Carolina for spring finals. If Mr. Beast is not there and does not have some crazy activation, that is the biggest misfire. Like ever. Biggest, biggest mistake since not allowing Bjergsen to play in the Mr. Beast tournament last year. Like you need to have some sort of interaction with Mr. Beast, especially if you're going all the way out here, because he is your key. He expressed interest in wanting to be a part of the LCS, but he did not want to be a part of the LCS. That was just lack of better words, boring, stagnant, stagnant. There was no fun going around because if he was to insert his content into there and the LCS wouldn't know how to handle it, they would just be like, okay, well, what if we have Mr. Beast? eat a spicy chip on camera and then try to name champions. Like, no, come on. We're past that. We're past like the, the, the preschool activities. Let's go ahead. Try to find something innovative. Try to find something fun. So. Well, truly, I do think part of the reason, you know, the growth for it, I do think where the young audience that in sort of the gaming pipeline has gone is it is to creators. Truly. Yes. I mean, like content creators continue to grow year over year over year. We've had some of them on the show talking about that. And so like using people like cutie who like, you know, 90 uh, she's been on the show we've talked about this specific topic 99 percent of her content has nothing to do with league of legends she mm-hmm. said on this show that like when she you know she'll do like a just chatting stream for x number of hours and then when she starts playing video games and starts playing league viewership massive drop right yep. they don't care they don't want to watch it and it's not because she's like an average player it's just because that's not what they're interested in right mm-hmm. they're truly interested in like the personality content you know sort of talking in front of a camera bond bonding parasocial yeah. relationship aside bonding that's what it is and uh i think that using content creators who are truly passionate about esports is is a tried and true positive thing and to your point about mr beast he is a massive league of legends fan massively and it is and it is a very big missed opportunity i agree with you if they don't capitalize on that in a more meaningful way than you know the little bits they have done here and there yeah, it's a good point. And I, I think too, you know, the I'm excited the LCS is trying new things. I hope that they just recognize I'm fearful of them catering to the audience they already have. Those people are already going to show up and watch things anyway. I want them to be able to go find a new audience and, and doing that creatively. Uh, yeah. It's something actually, if you compare, I've brought this up on the show last week too. If you compare Arcane, which did that really, really well, and you compare Players, which did that really, really poorly, um, they couldn't be any more different in the in the way that who they cater to and the way that they are accessible or inaccessible. Mm. You know, Arcane opened the world of League of Legends to millions of people who did not care about it before. Players catered to this very narrow, you know, hardcore esports fan. Hey, we're making fun of it kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is fine, but it just it's not accessible in any type of way. Yeah, I, I do. I've heard so many people say that players has hit that spot for them where it was like, finally, a show for me. So I do think that, you know, they well, deserve that's not the point, right? That. Like, yeah, it's I, a, go ahead. I, like it, it's the same thing with The Last of Us. Like there are a lot of people right now complaining about The Last of Us. Oh, it deviated from the game. Shut up. You're not the audience. Like there yeah. are 18 plus million people who watched that first episode that like I would guess the majority of them have not played the game, but now they're getting access to a new IP for the first time. Exactly. That's the one thing I think players did not do well is that it, it catered to the minority voice, not the majority voice, mm-hmm. which is is a problem. 
expand. Well, supposedly if they have season two, maybe they can expand on that. But no, I I understand what you're saying. And my main, I feel like my fear kind of to align with your fear is that I don't want them to overcorrect anything back. I feel like they took a great first step for the first week. I am honestly like super happy, super excited. Um, but as you know, with some toxic fans are not all fans are toxic, but there are just a few. There were I saw a lot of like negative comments towards Cutie Cinderella where it's like, this bitch doesn't know the game. This bitch doesn't know LCS or League of Legends. And I'm like, okay, first of all, you are completely and totally wrong. I've spoken with her. She is a diehard like Bjergsen fan, super TSM fan for years and years. Uh, Just because she isn't, you know, like broadcast professionally trained like a Jat or a Kobe doesn't mean that she can't still come on and provide amazing value. But I don't want I don't want people inside of LCS or Riot to see some of those negative comments and then go, oh, shit, this is the start time all over again. We need to overcorrect. Let's only bring pro players on and completely get rid of content creators, because I feel like that that would also be. a big. So that's that's my fear. But I don't think that. I don't think that um, unless they bring on like a completely out of left field content creator who comes on and says verbally, I hate the LCS and League of Legends. Y'all are nerds. I, I don't think that they're going to have that type of negative back, backlash. Yeah, I, I would caution people to, I know some Riot people listen to this. I would caution you to not listen to the minority voice. It's the most important thing. Like, listen, you know, the loudest people are often not the the people that you want to hear from. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, you, you truly want to understand, like, yeah, 20, 25 tweets versus 100,000 views. Uh, do the math here for a second. So, Do you want to talk a little bit about G4, your <laughs> yeah. former employer? Gaming media is at a very fraught time right now. You know, I think last summer we started to kind of see this a little bit. Fanbyte and G4 went down in the same week. They completely closed up shop. For those that are unfamiliar, G4 was the gaming television network channel that had now relaunched and gone more digital, owned by Comcast, NBC, Universal. I believe it's a part of like the, the very early on talent team there. And but left prior to the departure before the shutdown. And I think that looking now, we have a lot more context. Game Informer, GameSpot, Giant Bomb and The Washington Post have all laid off gaming people in the past like three weeks alone. And I think we're in a really, really fraught space for gaming media more broadly. I know your time at G4 was not all flowers and roses. And I I do want to ask a little bit about what are your thoughts on kind of what went wrong with the content because the content I don't think performed in the way that they expected and they had pivoted at the end and got there was mm-hmm. a reporting by Nathan Grace of the Washington Post about how costly things became towards the end. Yeah. So in a sense, I, I do want to start off by saying that G4 as a concept was freaking phenomenal and it is still something to this day that I wholeheartedly believed in that concept being weird, irreverent, pop culture, nerd culture focused style content with faces from the community that you know and love, faces that are legitimately like friends and get along on camera, off camera, and also just want to share their absolute passions with you. So for me, that was anime. It was esports. It was weird cartoons for people like Kasim G, who was an 
huge uh, OG YouTuber. His was man on the street style content. It was comic books. It was attending all of these crazy conventions. Like there were a lot of amazing people at G4. And I truly did believe when it, uh, in it when it was pitched to me. That being said, G4 was probably doomed from the beginning. As soon as they signed the contract for that, um, what was it, like the huge studio that they had, and after finding out how many like executives they had with, as you know, executive salaries, expecting to be immediately profitable off of a brand new Twitch channel and a brand new, you know, essentially brand new YouTube channel, it was just never realistic. There were far too many overhead costs. The, the cost to produce a single episode of like our esports show or Attack of the Show was ridiculous. And I feel like there some people's unwillingness to try to make something a little bit more scuffed. So I'm not sure if you saw this, but a couple weeks ago, I did this thing called Ava League out of my room in my house where I basically put together a League of Legends tournament with a lot yes. of content creators. I had flowers over and Raz over and it was scuffed. We had one microphone. It was echoey. It was on a green screen, but still people liked it. Still people had like a lot of fun with it. I think we we're about like one, two K views, which isn't a crap ton. I'm going to be honest. I did not make money on it. I spent a lot of money on like my equipment, buying the guys dinner. The guys eat a lot. So there was no money there. But, you know, just making mm -hmm. sure that it was a fun time for my community, for the League of Legends community and for the guys. I would have loved to do that within G4. But there was a lot of kind of like, you know, uh, uh, pro, no, pro clutching. I don't, I don't know the phrase for it of just like, we need everything to look professional. We need everything to look, you know, very polished, which in my opinion goes very against the entire meaning of G4. So I, I'm going to challenge this because I don't believe that our content was terrible. Uh, we had fantastic people on our game review team, like Gerard, the completionist, and a lot of the writers that he brought over from his channel, the completionist, putting out these, like, in my opinion, excellent game reviews. I think that they had an issue with they weren't getting like any new game copies ahead of time until kind of like our second year or I think like first year. Um, so they were reviewing like older games to try to placate the older audience on like, hey, this is what we missed. Um, but also like in terms of some of our esports content, we weren't allowed to show esports footage or any games. So that was that was just an issue again from inception where it's like, hey, how can you be telling us to yeah. create an esports show and yet we can't show a single uh, second of League of Legends footage? So, I mean, that was an issue. But on, honest to God, like it, this was nothing on the talent themselves, as we were told that it was going to be a talent focused network. I mean, the shows that Will Neff and Austin show created like they had a sold out or, you know, a, a venue packed for their Name Your Price show that they held at TwitchCon in San Diego. There wasn't an empty seat in the house. People went crazy yep. for it. They loved the content. It was just never going to sustain an incredibly expensive studio and all of the employees that G4 had. Yeah, I will say, I think, kind of two, two things on that. I do think that some of the content was I think towards the end actually kind of finally narrowing in on what might work granted again extremely expensive when you're paying for like talents parents fees for some of those creators like there's not a world to like make that money back where it makes sense and like 
how much some of those people were reporting, which based off Nathan's reporting was in the seven figures uh, for for some of those folks. Which I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump in. There were a lot of inaccuracies in that reporting. I I never said it publicly. I'm. This is probably the only time I'm going to speak on it. I'm not going to get into details of it, but from that reporting, it seemed like they only spoke with a handful of people. And those were probably the same handful of people that were pretty much against everything that Austin show and that Will Neff stuff did. So that's got it. Yeah. But I will say, I I know for certain that that's uh, some talent were paid pretty exorbitant uh, appearance fees just to appear on those shows, not even to actually produce or host the shows, which like that, that does get outsized cost gets pretty high at the end. I, th- I do think at least with some of the original content, the game reviewing, the gameplay, it explains to the world, et cetera. It's just bygone era of, of gaming and esports. Like there's not, yeah. it, it's not what the audience needs. What, what made G4 so special when we were all younger and it was on television is that like the only other website that really existed that covered this type of stuff was GameSpy. It's literally mm. one, mm-hmm. right? Like think about how much web content there is around gaming now and how big gaming is now, right? Like, it, you really have to find something that's particularly unique back to what we were talking about earlier to be successful in, in the content creation sphere. And like the name G4 was like great for n- nostalgia, but like pretty useless otherwise, I think. Like it didn't necessarily yeah. add value. It didn't make people go like, oh, I want to watch G4's opinion on this. Cause like I think so much of the young audience they were targeting doesn't even know what that is or care. Yeah. I, I mean, even to that point, I did not know what G4 was. So when they approached yeah. me and said, hey, we want to, you know, revamp G4. It was with Kevin Pereira and Olivia Munn. I said, I don't know what any of those things are that you just listed. I, I have no idea. I had yep. not heard of Olivia Munn. I had not heard of Kevin Pereira. I had not heard of G4 at all in its entirety. I didn't know what attack the show was. I didn't know what X-Play was. I didn't, I didn't know any of these things. So I said, listen, you're coming to me with this thing. And I think that they kind of thought that, oh, G4, that I would be like, oh, my God, G4 here. Take I will pay you to let me be on it, because I know that there were a couple people who kind of had that that feeling, that passion for G4. But as you said, like, I think one of the biggest or the most difficult conversation that I had with people in the higher up position at G4 was like, listen, our competition is not IGN. Our competition is not GameSpot. It's not, you know, Polygon, Kotaku, like any of these other things. Our competition is XQC. Our competition is like Alpha Rad, right? Who's putting out these great game reviews. Like our competition are the individual content creators who can do everything that we're trying to do for not even a fraction of the budget. A hundredth of the cost, basically. Exactly. exactly. So it's like, if you want to go all out, I feel like they should have been making like some crazy original programming outside of just these little game reviews and stuff for just the price that they were paying for everything. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it does make me worried um, about games media more broadly, but I don't think engagement's necessarily the problem. I just think the style is the problem to your point about the cost of the studio, et cetera. We've now seen two companies, you know, G4 is not a startup, but basically a startup within a major media empire. And then another startup in Vin faceplant after like tens of millions of dollars woefully misused and you know misspent it's that is concerning to me and it's something i know is concerning to others because i am frequently in calls with media investors who that is the first thing that comes out of their mouth like what do you think about ben what do you think about g4 and it's just like (laughs) uh, like it's like nobody should be spending money like that that's my thoughts like it's uh to me it is very much 
get the fancy TV people out of the room because they want to make TV. They don't understand digital. Yep. I think that there, I have learned so much from like traditional TV producers. I mean, you're talking about being forced to learn so much in a short amount of time. I am, I am still incredibly grateful for my time at G4 because even though I was put through the ringer for a couple different things, I learned what television production was. I learned what behind the scenes production was. I learned the the intricacies of trying to get a piece of content, jumping through all of the different legal hoops, jumping through all the different production hoops, things that esports does not have, but that I know that esports is going to be forced to adapt to pretty soon just for the sake of professionalism. But I'm now at the point where it's like, I come back and I look at producers that I've worked with in the past and I'm like, holy crap, in the two or three years that I've been gone, I've picked up like these freaking decades of experience from all of the crazy crap that I've had to deal with. And I feel like I've aged a decade, but also I I can Mm -hmm. take on and see new, what is it like different ways to problem solve for all these crazy issues that pop up in esports that just haven't arisen just yet, but they will. It's coming. Pivoting from that a little bit, we do have our first listener question, which is from Keaton N.A. And this is, is FlyQuest the first LCS organization offer you've received? And if not, what drove you to FlyQuest that other LCS orgs or opportunities did not have? So the answer to that is no. Um, but I mean, timeline wise, it's it's scattered because when I left the LCS uh, 2020, so that's like three years ago now, I had a lot of different teams and owners hit me up and be like, Hey, saw that you left. Come work with us. Come work with us. Come work with us. And at that time, when I had the G4 deal that I wasn't really telling anyone about, but also I just kind of wanted to experience what it was to be truly freelance. I wanted to see what I could do on my own. And honestly, I ended up kicking. I, I did pretty well. I started working with a bunch of different clients that I really enjoy working with. I got to explore a bunch of different esports scenes. I started working with a Brawl Stars the mobile game, I freaking love Brawl Stars. It's actually so much fun. And the community, they're so young and they're so enthusiastic and passionate. And the broadcast doesn't take itself super seriously. That's that's my quick little Brawl Stars rant. I love Brawl Stars. But as of recently, like when FlyQuest reached out to me, I wasn't really thinking of taking any team proposals or anything because again, I was doing really well on my own freelance wise. But when FlyQuest came to me and they said, like, listen, we actually have the backing to help you create some of your fun ideas. We are going to give you the support that you need if you want access to the players reasonably. Like, we will give you access to the players. We're building up, you know, our studio. We're starting to really try to ramp up our content in esports, just like our content in general. And we think that you could have a pretty big role to play kind of like vision wise in that. I'm like, okay, you know what? They're telling me that they believe in me. They're telling me that they trust me. They're telling me that they can and have the resources to support me. And the stability is something that I was also very interested in as well. So I'm like, you know what? Hell yeah. Let's go FlyQuest. I like the wholesome org. I like the wholesome vibes. I love the players that they picked up. I have some faith in this. So that's where the FlyQuest deal came from. I did want to ask this earlier, but I think this is the appropriate time to ask this from me uh, really quickly is, does it feel like coming back to settle and finish business? Um, I, when, when I hear you say that, I feel like it's me like with the cowboy hat on with like my finger on my <laughs> holster, you know, like my hand on the holster, like, all right, like it's high noon time, time to finish it here. Like I, I wouldn't say that as much. I think that right now the LCS 
And the community itself is in this pivotal point of, hey, it's either we get our shit together now or we are going down. And if this is something where I could come in and I can help try to revive some of the LCS and the content or the passion and passion or the love just through FlyQuest, then it's something that I would be happy in, happy with. I don't think that it's necessarily I can save the entire scene just by myself through, you know, one org alone. Yeah. But also like, dude, you, you know, like I I love the scene. I love the LCS. I love League of Legends. I love all of these players and all of these orgs. And I don't want to live in a world where that completely vanishes. So in terms of like coming in to finish business, I don't think so because there is so much business to finish and to handle. But I'm hoping that this is just kind of like a start. It's me peeking my head. It's me poking like my head back in. Good. Yeah, that makes sense. I was more so just asking from like if there were creative concepts, et cetera, you didn't get the opportunity to do before before you left in 2020. And now. Oh, hundreds. Like, kind of hundreds. Yeah. 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 No, 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 no. Hundreds. Like I, I was driving in the car yesterday just listening to whatever popped up on my Spotify. I'm like, oh, well, I have an MSI song for FlyQuest and I have a playoff song for FlyQuest. Like I. It will be cringe and it will be fantastic. And I want to see if I could get impact to dance more. I look forward to that. It's uh, what you've done so far. It's pretty, pretty humorous and and funny and different. And I think that is needed. So I appreciate that. That's all for our show. You enjoyed this episode of Visionaries. You can find more like it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really helps other people find the show. Special thanks to Sammy Daig and Prem Thottamkara for their help with this episode. We'll see you on Thursday.